You're listening to the regular podcast from Pete the Vet's blog. This was first broadcast on East Coast FM. And I'm joined by Pete the Vess. And uh, good morning, Pete. Good morning. And, uh, we're, we have something special to talk about because you have a book. I've just had a... Pet I've, Subjects. I've just had a book published, yes. So it's, for me, it's very exciting. Yes, indeed. Um, it's called Pet Subjects, which actually is the name of the column I write every week in the Daily Telegraph. I've been writing a column um, answering people's questions about pets for the last decade for the for the Telegraph and um, they they approached me last year and said listen we love what you write and we wonder if we could um, expand on the question answer thing and get some more kind of stories from you so what I did is I put this took stories from my life as a vet in practice and um, real stories things that have really happened um, and interesting intriguing stories and I put them into a book and they so each chapter is basically a, uh, an example of something which came in to see me that was a bit quirky, was a bit of a mystery, an animal doing something a bit peculiar, and it talks a bit about, um, the, the, I suppose, the process of, of trying to find out what's going on, and then what happens in the end to, to the unfortunate animal who's afflicted with, this, with, the, with these symptoms. I'm just looking at some of the, the chapter titles here. The Cat with a Gravelly Cough, um, The Travelling Parasite, The Parasite Who Refused to Talk. That was a very interesting one. It was a parrot who basically had depression um, for complex reasons that I go into in the story. A rabbit, uh, this parrot got depressed and he changed from being a, a, a talkative, um, chatty parrot into a parrot who just gummed up and said nothing at all. So, um, uh, again, like... So, the, not even uh, who's a pretty boy then. Nothing, <laughs> no, would, nothing we he, expect parrots he, to say. He said nothing. He, he just, it was like he was on talking strike um, because he because something had happened in his social life that he didn't like. <laughs> um, another one I like here, the cat who drank too much. Well, do you know, that's really common. It's not what people think. Perhaps it's not obviously a cat drinking alcohol, but increased thirst... It's a classic sign of a number of diseases, such as diabetes, kidney disease, liver disease, and um, as with humans, just like with humans. Yeah. And and so, in in the story that I tell, it's about a real cat called Chico, um, and Chico. Um, his owner noticed, look, he's going over the bowl and drinking more water than usual. And um, then the story tells how how we, how we went on from there to find out exactly what was going on with him and then how to cure him. And uh, it's not just cats and dogs, of course, uh, mm. that, that vets deal with. We, you know, your practice is brave vets, but uh, I see one here, the giant turtle with a tiny appetite. But that was a, one of the most bizarre cases I've ever had to treat because, well, the story there was that somebody was very skilled at working with, 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 with um, reptiles and, and, and turtles, and somebody brought him a turtle, a terrapin, that was about the size of a two-euro coin. So it would fit in the palm of his hand, and they couldn't keep it. So he said, look, I'll look after it. So he looked after it, um, and what he discovered after about a year was that this turtle terrapin thing was thriving so well that it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, a normal terrapin gets to be about the size of a dinner plate. This, what we thought was a terrapin, and what turned out to be a common snapping turtle, turned out to, to get as big as, oh, how would you describe it? If you... If you open your arms out wide as if you're going to hug somebody, mm. the turtle was that big. It was massive. And um, he used to hibernate every winter. And on this occasion, when he woke up, 
again, he wasn't interested in food. He didn't want to eat. And we had to try... It was very diff a difficult creature to handle because as his name is a common snapping turtle, he snapped. So if you got within range of his mouth, um, his head is, is at the end of a long muscular neck and he'd reach out and grab you and he could break your break your wrist by grabbing hold of you with his powerful jaws. So the good thing about a turtle is that um, they can't sort of reach around behind them. So if you, got, if you have somebody holding the shell, um, they can't get you with their mouth. But all the same, um, dealing with a, a big aggressive creature like that is really quite a challenge. This one here intrigues me. It doesn't refer to what the animal is. The three-year itch. Yes. Um, <laughs> a lot of people with itchy dogs know all about three-year itches. What this means, this was a case of a dog that just itched and itched and itched. It was fine till it was three years of age and then it started to itch. And it itched for three years before we were able to put our finger on exactly what it was that was wrong. So, so it wasn't so, fleas or... Um, no. In the end... Well, you have to read the book to find out. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right. No spoilers. Go on. <laughs> um, but um, as a vet... Um Itchy pets can be amongst the most frustrating to try to solve because there are lots of possible causes. But generally, with a process of elimination, you can find out what the cause is. And like with many diseases, once you've made your diagnosis, that's the key, then you can find the answer. See, the job of a vet is a bit like, it's a bit like trying to solve complicated crossword puzzles. Um, you're given these these animals have these things that are wrong with them and really there's, there's a, for any given case there could be a hundred different possible diagnoses and you, you kind of have to just work out logically from start to finish going through it's like a, um, a flow chart if it's not that then this if it's not that then this and you work your way right through it until the end until you're left with the diagnosis mm. it's a like, I love my job as a vet. It's fascinating. And, yeah, and you've been doing it for 25 years. Mm. And, you know, you, you're very much a media vet as well. You know, you're on the radio and television. Um, where did you get the time to write a book? Well, I guess over the last number of years, I've, I've um, spent a bit less time working in my clinic and a bit more time doing some of the media stuff. Um, I find that that helps me in different ways. First of all, it means that I do have time to sit down and write a book. Like, it does take, you know, hours sitting in front of a computer writing. But as well as that, it means that because I'm not putting in the old 10 or 12 hour days I used to put in at the clinic, it means that I love it when I'm there more. If you're working 10-hour days every day, you do get fatigued after after a decade or more. <laughs> you do. And so nowadays I do uh, um, short days at the clinic and, uh, and I love them more. You have uh, mm. over, over 20 chapters there in the book. Uh, is there a favourite story of all of those or have we covered the favourite story I, already? Do you know what? I, th I think my favourite one goes back a long time um, and it, it, it's called The Swan Who Flew With a Broken Wing. Oh, and now, yeah. what that was, well, you, you probably know that in Bray there's swans in the local harbour. And this is back in 1996, a long time ago now. Um, mm -hmm. What happened was um, somebody brought a swan to me that had a broken wing. And at the time, generally with a, with a bird with a broken wing, they can't be released to the wild because they won't be able to fly again. Um, the only thing you can do is to amputate the wing and, and then they... they, 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 they don't have a life as a wild animal. So euthanasia is what's generally done. But in this instance, the person who brought the swan in um, was adamant that we have to do absolutely everything possible for the swan. So I phoned the swan sanctuary in London and I said to them, listen, we know you're the specialist. We know you have a specialist operating theatre and vets who have a particular interest in sorting out swan issues. Is there anything you could do for a swan with a broken wing? Um, and I expected they say, no, unfortunately, nothing could be done. 
euthanasia is the best answer. And they said, well, we have had some swans with broken wings that you'll be able to get them to fly again. So if you can get the swan to us here in London, well, we'll see what we can do. Now, how on earth would you get a great big swan all the way from Bray to London? You would think it was impossible. But what happened was, at that time, CityJet, um, who was um, set up by Bray man Pat Byrne, um, they just opened... And I thought, well, there's an off chance that if I call them, they might like the PR idea of making a, a, a wingless swan fly again. So um, they, they basically, um, I phoned them and their PR department said, we'd love to help you. So the next morning, there I was sitting in business class with a, a trussed up swan sitting on my lap while the <laughs> photographers Seriously? from the national newspapers were taking pictures of me <laughs> and this swan. And the next day, I was on the front page of the Irish Independent of this swan, this swan who couldn't fly, flying to London. Did the swan have a name? Um, she was called Angel. And in the end, um, they couldn't save her wing. They had to remove her wing, as we expected. Mm. But she was given a good home in a, a private park in, in, um, in Devon. So she lived out her years happily. Um, is it true swans made for life? They do, yeah. So possibly there was a lonely, a lonely um, husband swan in Bray. We, we never heard that. Um, and do you expect the book to, to sell well? Lots of interesting stories in there. I, I hope so. It's... it's Available at bookshops around the country. It's a hardback, so it's 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 a um, it'd be a great present for somebody who's interested in, in animals. Um, but if you just like pets yourself, you'll find these stories interesting. It's been sold through the Daily Telegraph as well um, through their bookshop over in the UK. So uh, and like in the Telegraph this weekend, they're going to do a feature about me and the book. So you know we're getting all the marketing angles, and hopefully when people hear about it, some of them will buy it, and hopefully they will like it and tell their friends. And isn't that how books do well? So I'm hoping that's going to happen. How did you end up with a column in the Telegraph? It's a big newspaper. Um, I well, I I started going to creative writing classes way back in the 90s when I was newly qualified there because I liked writing and after that then I, I, I approached the Bray people the local newspaper and said would they like a column and they accepted that column and I've been writing a column in the Bray people now for, for the last 25 years every week and so when I was doing that, I thought, well, this is fun. I like this. Um, I like writing like this. So I thought, well, I'll just write to every newspaper in the UK and see if one of them would like to have a vet writing for them. And they all said no. And then I wrote to them all again a year later. And they all said no. Then I wrote to them again, them again a year later. And they still said no. But then out of the blue, the Telegraph pet columnist that was, she decided to retire. So I got a phone call from the Telegraph because they some somebody had put my my letter um, on file somewhere and so when it came up then there was an opportunity and I grabbed it and okay, I, I've been doing doors. it ever since. Okay, Pete, uh, thanks for joining us. That's Thank Pete you. the vet from uh, Brave Vets and his book is called uh, Pet Subjects as they say, available in all good bookstores.